This week in KMA land, one county official resigns, another is hired. Area police departments pay tribute to law enforcement's fallen. E-15 will now be required at Iowa gas stations, and Hamburg school officials eye big improvements. All that and more coming up on this week's edition of This Week in KMA Land, our weekly look back at some of the top news stories from our newsroom. I'm Ryan Matheny in for the vacationing Mike Peterson. Two area teachers were named as the final two recipients of the Charles E. Lake and Outstanding Teacher Award this week. In separate ceremonies Wednesday, Shenandoah High School special education teacher Mary Peterson and Essex fifth grade teacher Vicki Hume were both given the award, including a $10,000 prize for the teacher and a $2,500 gift to the school district. Following her ceremony, Peterson told KMA News the recognition came out of nowhere. I was totally shocked. No, Never in my wildest dreams would have imagined it was even coming. <laughs> Peterson was nominated by Linda Laughlin, Heather Weiss, and Crystal Whitmer. As a special education teacher, she says her passion for teaching comes from wanting to help students achieve their goals no matter the situation. A lot of the students that I work with have challenges, so that's kind of my special thing is I want them to see that they can succeed and be successful in something. They find their own little niche somewhere. Just give them confidence and let them know that they're just as good as anybody else. Peterson started her teaching career at the Creston Elementary School back in 1989 before moving to Shenandoah 22 years ago with her husband, Mike, when she made the switch to high school, but not without some convincing. I knew the principal at the high school because his wife had been an associate with me in Creston. And so she's like, he needs a special ed teacher at the high school. I said, no, I don't want to teach high school kids. They're not nice. And she's like, oh, come on. So I came for the interview and he said, yeah. This would be great, he said, and I know you'll probably move down to the elementary. Well, 22 years later, here I am still at the high school. And found out that the high school kids are really not any different than the little elementary kids. They still just want somebody to care for them and help them get through. But Peterson says the spark for teaching came back in high school. Going through school, I just always liked going to school, and I babysat lots of kids. And when I was in high school, I worked at the school part-time in the summer as janitor with them. And... Then they had summer school, so I helped, and I just like, I always just wanted to be around kids and working with them. Well, meanwhile, in Essex, fifth grade teacher Vicki Hume won the award, and she says that receiving the award was overwhelming, but also an honor. Really blessed, and just, I'm, like I said, overwhelmed. As um, Dr. Wells said, there are many awesome teachers in Essex alone, but across this county, I'm sure, um, that are deserving of this award, and so it's a real honor to receive this award. Hume was one of over 180 nominations for the award from 19 different school districts this year. When asked what continues to drive her to come to the classroom every day, Hume says it has and always will be about the students. Being able to motivate them and encourage them every day, just um, them coming into the classroom with smiles on their face and wanting to be at school, um, that makes my job worthwhile. After spending several years teaching in Omaha, Hume says she moved to Essex to spend more time with her husband and has enjoyed every moment of it. I have loved this choice that I made to come here. It's been an awesome school. It's given me many opportunities to do great things. And I love working with the students and the faculty and um, the families that I work with. This year, other winners of the award included Glenwood 6th grade science instructor Tom Berkey and Underwood High School math teacher Greg Bachman. The Lakin Award is given annually to four public school teachers from non-urban schools within a 40-mile radius of Lakin's hometown of Emerson. Well, one Page County official is heading to a different career. 
On Monday this week, Emergency Management Coordinator Chris Griebert submitted his letter of resignation to the county's EMA board after serving in the position since March of 2017. Prior to serving as the EMA coordinator, Griebert was police chief in Shenandoah for nine years. Griebert tells KMA News his heart remains in the law enforcement profession. And I wasn't feeling, I guess, fulfilled in my, my, in my duties. I, I, I wanted law enforcement. I wanted to be in law enforcement again, and after talking to my wife, we came to the conclusion that that was my passion that made me more happy, so I needed to pursue that. When Griebert took over in 2017, Page County law enforcement and emergency personnel struggled with radio coverage under the county's VHF radio system. Shortly after he took over, the county launched a $1.7 million upgrade to take the system digital. Griebert, who oversaw the project, says the radio coverage has come a long ways from when he was police chief in Shenandoah. We had very, very spotty coverage. I was—I remember times taking my radio off my belt and trying to hold it up in the air just to get a signal out there, even on Highway 59 there in front of Casey in town. So after I got the position as EMA coordinator, you know, we worked with Motorola about getting the digital radio system, the ISIX radio system that the state is now using into Page County and uh, supplementing the state system with uh, local enhancements, which we have. Two towers. In January of 2019, the county officially cut over to the new digital system. Griebert says law enforcement has better coverage now and that whoever takes over his role will have just a few minor issues to iron out. We have portable to portable coverage just about everywhere. We have some some radio issues uh, in spots that we're working with Motorola currently still this day working with them to iron out those spots and try to figure the best way to get uh, the radios to where they work wherever we need them. Aside from the radio project, Griebert implemented a drone program through his office that's assisted law enforcement and fire departments, and he's also laid the groundwork for the county to establish an emergency operations center that could be used in the event of a natural disaster. The county's EMA board is expected to meet next week to discuss the next steps in filling Griebert's role. In the interim, county officials have reached out to Montgomery County Emergency Management Coordinator Brian Hammond for help if the county encounters severe weather or a natural disaster. Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer will oversee scheduling at the county's dispatch center until a replacement is hired. Well, while Griebert is on his way out, county officials this week did fill an important hole by hiring a new public health administrator. During the Page County Board of Health meeting on Monday, Board President Chuck Nordyke announced that Richard Mullen has been selected for the position following an extensive interview process. Mullen succeeds Jess Erdman in the role, who resigned back in April. Mullen has worked with Zion Integrated Behavioral Health Services for the past 18 years, the previous 12 as associate director. Mullen tells KMA News he applied for the opening as he felt it was the next step in his service to health in Page County. And it's just something that I looked at as a, as a growth opportunity for myself. And then also, you know, it, it's very important that, that Iowans' health it becomes a priority. And it has been a priority in, in the past, but just continuing with that. And so I thought that this was something that, you know, with a lot of my experience in history, I can bring some, some added value to the table. Mullen says he was ecstatic to hear the board had selected him for the job and looks forward to building upon the solid foundation, specifically regarding COVID-19, provided by Erdman. I was really kind of uh, ecstatic when, um, you know, through my interview process that I was uh, able to uh, able to obtain the position and just continue on with a lot of, uh, of what Jess did prior, as I've been kind of talking and looking through some of the things that she has done. She's done amazing groundwork with the COVID and other other initiatives within the public health department. And so just continuing on that and just continuing to expand the services. During his time with Zion, which provides substance abuse and mental health services, Mullen says he was able to establish a basic understanding of public health. One of his priorities is to continue expanding where services are provided within the county. I will, I will really adopt a no wrong door um, attitude towards uh, people and no matter where they're trying to access services, that those that those services are become available 
uh, making sure they link to those services and, you know, conduct, you know, really strong follow-up to make sure people are following through with appointments and, you know, and things like that. Mullen says he also brings extensive grant writing and data analysis in his background. While he believes the previous administration was already setting the groundwork, he says he hopes to continue to address disparities within the county, including lower-income individuals and families and child health. Addressing obesity, diabetes, you know, those types of things like that. Um, maternal care, you know, women health and women and children, you know, and, and things like that. And, you know, really ensuring that those disparities that, that really impact people, you know, let it be services that aren't readily available, creating those services, uh, working with other entities that have the opportunity to create those services. Mullen is expected to begin working with the county on May 31st. This week also marked National Police Officers Memorial Week, and two area departments paid their respects. Officers of the Shenandoah Police Department and members of the community took time Monday to remember the law enforcement who have given the ultimate sacrifice. At a special ceremony outside of City Hall, the community marked National Police Officer Memorial Day to remember the 105 law enforcement personnel who've been lost this year in the line of duty. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen says the city is lucky to have a dedicated department to protect the community. Our prayers are for the law enforcement families that have experienced the pain of losing their loved ones in a line of duty death or daily walking beside a loved one who was disabled in the line of duty. The City of Shenandoah and the Mayor's Office thanks the brave men and women who put their lives on the line every day to serve the citizens of Shenandoah and Page County. And God bless each one of you. Sergeant Ethan Johnson was among the members of the Shenandoah PD who spoke during the event. He talked about the popular phrase, thin blue line, and its meaning to law enforcement. People wear them, you know, and they think it's a support of you know, us, which it is, the support of law enforcement and what we do, but mainly it's for representation that there's chaos, danger, and evil in the world. That law enforcement has the responsibility to do their jobs and keep the public safe and free so they can do their lives and live their lives. Additionally, Johnson says the thin blue line represents the sacrifices made by law enforcement around the country. It's a sacrifice. Sacrifice, uh, the personal sacrifices that we make, the officers that have actually made the ultimate sacrifice and lost their lives uh, protecting the communities that they serve, whether they be county, uh, city, state, all equally have given the same sacrifice. So it's the ultimate sacrifice. It's not only a representation of that, but it's a reminder and a plea. Assistant Chief Tom Johnson says the department is fortunate to have a supportive community which helps them do their jobs more effectively. The city of Shenandoah continues to have the highest crime prevention rating in southwest Iowa. While there are a number of factors that would contribute to this, it is your support, the community support, that is the greatest factor. Police departments are never truly effective without it. Uh, now, it may take a special kind of courage to be a police officer, probably now more than ever, but, uh, but it also takes a special community to support that officer. Following the ceremony, officers and attendees walked through downtown Shenandoah and planted American flags on the police department lawn. Each flag represents a law enforcement officer who was killed in the line of duty this year. Then on Wednesday, Clarinda held their ceremony, which was kicked off by members of the Sergi Post-98 Color Guard. Ready, aim, fire! Ready, aim, fire! Ready, aim, fire! Members of the Color Guard fired a three-volley salute at a special ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in the city cemetery. Law enforcement representing the Clarinda Police Department, Page County Sheriff's Office, and Iowa State Patrol all participated in the ceremony, which marked National Police Officers Memorial Week. Clarinda Police Chief Keith Brothers told the crowd his remarks were focused on the number 73. Today, 73 has a very, very significant 
and saw a meeting. In 2021, 73 law enforcement officers in the United States were feloniously killed. They ranged in ages from 19 to 66. They were men and they were women. They left for work and they never came back home. Brother says the ceremony and the week give law enforcement and the public time to pause and remember the price those who protect us are willing to pay. Sacrifice is about giving up something so precious and you're doing it for the cause of another. Sacrifice to me is the willingness to give up your life in the performance of your duties in order to protect your community, your state, your city, your county, and your country. Brothers thank the law enforcement, both past and present, who were in attendance for their willingness to keep their community safe. Today, we honor them. We speak their names. We hold tight to our loved ones. We are thankful for the sacrifice that we can live in a country where help will always come and there are brave women and men who are prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice in the name of freedom. Wednesday's ceremony also included the traditional laying of a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier as well as the playing of taps. Still to come on this week in KMA Land, E15 will now be required at Iowa gas stations. Hamburg school officials are eyeing some big improvements to their school building and lawmakers at the state level tackle funding associated with the closure of the Glenwood Resource Center. That and more still to come on This Week in KMA Land. Welcome back to This Week in KMA Land. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a bill into law this week that would require most gas stations in Iowa to sell E15 by 2026. At a special ceremony Tuesday morning on a farm near Prairie City, Reynolds signed House File 2128 into law. The bill was a compromise after a similar proposal failed to pass the legislature last year. For well over a year, we've been working on different versions of this bill, and the final product truly is a testament to uh, the idea that good faith discussion, negotiation, and compromise can pay off in a big way. Under the bill, most gas stations would be required to offer gasoline with 15% ethanol and at least one pump by 2026. Any new gas station that opens up after January 1st, 2023 would be required to sell E15 and half of their pumps. The bill does allow for some exceptions for smaller gas stations and for those with older equipment not capable of handling the higher blends. Reynolds says the bill helps back the renewable fuels industry in the state. Biofuels account for four billion of Iowa's GDP and supports tens of thousands of jobs in our state. It powers our economy and it fuels the world. And this position of uh, global leadership means that what we do here reverberates far beyond our borders. When we talk, people listen. And we've never spoke, spoken more loudly or more clearly than we are today. This historic bill makes Iowa the first state in the nation to adopt an E15 standard, setting the stage for the single largest expansion of biofuels in our state's history. The bill passed both chambers of the Iowa legislature in April, receiving bipartisan support. Three members of the Senate voted against it, while 13 members of the House voted against. Reynolds says the legislation comes at an important time when Iowans are paying more at the pump. The administration is encouraging Americans who can't afford gas to buy an electric car, is that's no solution. The true answer is biofuels. Ethanol is cleaner burning and it's 70 to 80 cents less expensive than gasoline. And just as important, biofuels are made right here at home 
furthering uh, our energy independence and security. In April, President Biden visited Iowa to announce that he'd grant a temporary waiver that will allow stations to sell E-15 in the summer months, something that's typically not allowed under EPA standards. Reynolds says she'll continue to push for E-15 to be a year-round on a permanent basis. Very grateful uh, for the um, the temporary waiver that the president did uh, this year, but it is, it is temporary and it's time that we finish the job. So I propose the, um, the biofuels bill because Iowa farmers and renewable fuel producers are the economic backbone of our state because Iowans and Americans deserve access to reliable, less expensive, environmentally friendly option at the pump. Iowa has delivered and in doing so we've sent a message that can't be ignored. America's energy is growing right here in Iowa's fields. Also included in the bill is a provision that will require any diesel fuel pump installed after January 1st of 2023 to sell B20, which is diesel with a 20% soybean-based additive. Iowa Congresswoman Cindy Axney is among those applauding the efforts from state leaders in increasing access to higher ethanol blend fuels. Axney says it was good to see the governor supporting a law that allows for the more selling of ethanol. Because when we do, we know we support our farmers and we support uh, rural communities, and, and I say that's all of Iowa, you know, and so I'm glad to see that there's continued support at a state level. I know that Governor Reynolds has always been behind blending as much ethanol as possible, and, and certainly I am as well, which is why I was pleased to be with the president in Menlo when we announced the, uh, you know, the E15 in the summertime. And Axney says more access to E15 means commuting Iowans save big at the pump. That's a lot of miles you're putting in a day, 40, 50 miles just to get to and from work. Uh, so when you're reducing each gallon by 20 cents, uh, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, $4 maybe for, for filling up a 40-gallon tank. Uh, you're talking that every single, you know, time you're doing that, you add that up, that up over a week and then over a month. Uh, and then over the summertime, you're saving hundreds of dollars. However, the West Des Moines Democrat says the bill's impact could extend well beyond Iowa's borders. We are a key part of this country's uh, GDP, and ethanol is part of that. So expansion of this is obviously most important to our state by putting money back in people's pockets that they'll save at the pump, but also helping us get more of our product out the door. And that just only helps our whole state and this country. In April, President Biden visited Menlo in Iowa to announce a temporary waiver allowing summertime E-15 sales, not typically permitted by EPA regulations. But Axney says she'll continue to push for a more permanent solution on a federal level for both biofuels and biodiesel. We've had bills related to that for years on end. I will always be a supporter for that. And then finally, I will tell you, let's not forget about our biodiesel market as well. Uh, and I am looking to once again champion uh, the biodiesel tax extender, which I'll be uh, making sure gets into the mix here later in the year to create certainty in the market uh, so that we can actually support our farmers in that endeavor as well. Axney made her comments on KMA 705 newscast Thursday morning. That full interview is available at kmaland.com. Hamburg school officials are floating the idea of a bond issue for three large-scale projects. During its regular meeting this week, the Hamburg School Board discussed the possibility of taking a $2.6 million bond issue to voters in September to cover the costs of a new auditorium, fitness center, and new classrooms for the recently state-approved Charter High School. Hamburg School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells tells KMA News the board had initially intended to use the district's Secure and Advanced Vision for Education or SAVE funds and physical plant and equipment levy for the auditorium and fitness center. However, he says a bond issue would have fewer state restrictions. The state of Iowa has uh, restrictions for small schools. If you're a small school, you can't just spend your sales tax dollars and your pebble on construction. You have to have the state approve that. And so the board would like to avoid that 
conversation and just ask the voters to vote for that. Wells added the bond issue is estimated to increase the district's tax levy between 50 cents and $1 from eleven sixteen per thousand dollars valuation to just over $12 per thousand. Currently, Wells says the most significant part of the project involves a new auditorium, which based on projections from six months ago would be roughly $1.1 million. While the board discussed a gymatorium, a combination of a gym and auditorium, Wells says they ultimately settled on a standalone 250-seat auditorium. Our board is very set on having a very nice auditorium for, for music and for theater and for our community that would attract possible performers to our community. So that's the most expensive piece of the the puzzle. Additionally, Wells says the addition of a fitness center and two new large classrooms comes in between three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars. However, if costs continue to rise, he says the bond issue could go up to three million dollars. Wells says the district's been working with Jerry Purdy with Design Alliance on proposals for the project. They expect construction could be completed in under two years. The board decides to take it to a vote of the people in September, uh, and it passes. We'd go right out to the bidding process, and then you're looking at a year and a half for completion of the projects, depending on uh, availability of materials. Currently, Wells says plans call for a new fitness center to be just to the west and adjacent to Marty Simons Elementary School, while the new classrooms would be constructed to the east. State lawmakers are still debating how they are going to fund various transition costs associated with the upcoming closure of the Glenwood Resource Center. Last month, Governor Kim Reynolds announced the state would close the state-run facility that provides residential care for Iowans with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the wake of a federal investigation into abuses by staff. This week, members of the Senate Appropriations Committee debated a funding bill for the Department of Health and Human Services. The House version of the bill, which was passed prior to the closure announcement, does not include any funding for transitioning residents to the state's other facility in Woodward or to community-based services. State Senator Mark Costello, a Republican from Imogene, chairs the HHS Appropriations Subcommittee. He says discussions are ongoing about how to fund the transition over the next two years. There is going to be a transition cost here, and... Uh Community providers uh, will need to be uh, built up and, and strengthened, and so I believe there will be money in there for that, a substantial amount. Additionally, state officials announced that current staff at GRC would be offered retention bonuses to stay through the closure before finding new jobs. Costello says how to fund those bonuses remains a point of contention between House and Senate members and the governor's office. We also need to make sure that the resource center now that announcements have made that the people still stay there until the people the clients can be transferred so we're having to spend some money to keep people there uh, so they don't go off and find another job right away um, so and we're trying to work that out and that's one of the issues we're trying to make figure out make sure where that money is coming from and that's one of the issues that we're still trying to clear up here. The HHS budget is one of 10 departmental budgets that was passed in the House but not in the Senate, causing this year's legislative session to go into overtime. Costello says there is a chance the GRC transition could be funded using some of the American Rescue Plan money allocated to the state from Congress. Senator Joel Bolcom, a Democrat from Iowa City, cautioned against using ARPA funds for something he says should clearly be included in the budget. ARPA funds are used at the discretion of the governor and are not subject to budgeting from legislators. Balcom also worries that using temporary funds to pay for an ongoing issue could present challenges. There will be a time in the next two years that the American Rescue Plan money is not going to be there and that this, this committee is going to have to dig in and find the money. I mean, we're going to lose all this FMAP money in 25, Medicaid's going to bump in 25, and you're, you're, I think we're going to see 
the final deal here, have a lot of American Rescue uh, Plan money supporting basic stuff that the state of Iowa should be supporting. We're going to get some of this out-of-state money to support Iowa stuff. So I think you're setting yourself, the committee setting itself up, I think, for a pretty substantial cliff in two years. Costello says American Rescue Plan money would be appropriate. There are um, discussions as to how we can fund that, whether it's okay. through money that we have, the governor has, she can use uh, different ways, or whether we can do it in the budget. And that is one of the things that we want to verify before this budget's finalized. Following discussion, the committee approved the House version of the HHS budget along party lines, the understanding that it'd be amended once Republican lawmakers in both chambers reach an agreement. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log into KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Ryan Matheny. Thanks for joining us, and have a great week.